Thank you. Morning, everybody. Um, it's a great privilege to go and visiting different churches, and thank you very much for the invitation, Matt, um, to come and share from God's words here at Countryslip. And also, the other thing that I'm very grateful for is that very grateful for sharing together the Bible reading. So, for the last two years at Cairns Road, we've been doing the same reading as you guys have been doing. So we've just finished the book of Ezekiel. We're in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, looking forward to Daniel and Revelation. So there we go. But uh, it's, it's been so grateful to see um, how God has been working in our lives, even at Cairns Roads, as we've opened scriptures. And I've, I've been always very encouraged when I've heard the stories from Counterslip. So um, I, I think also this... And this shows the unity that we've got across the city. I know I come from the north part of the city, uh, but uh, it shows the unity that we've got in our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I'm very, very grateful for that. If you're wondering where my accent is from, I think Matt said it earlier on. I'm originally from Albania. I've lived in Bristol for the last uh, 14 and a half years. Trained at the Baptist College here in Bristol. Married to a Bristolian who was a missionary in Albania, and uh, we've lived here for the last uh, 14 years. And during this time, I've trained at the Baptist College, and also I've been in uh, ministry at Cairns uh, Roads. And um, again, we, Cairns Roads, sends their love today as they know that I'm here and they've been praying for the service here, and I think we prayed earlier on for the service there. So I'm here to share a little bit from God's Word this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of the letter of Thessalonians. Um, I don't know about you, but I found reading through Ezekiel very challenging. It's good to come to the New Testament and appreciate the grace of God. But it doesn't mean that we didn't learn anything from Ezekiel or Jeremiah, for that matter. God's word is wonderful. It's challenging. One of the elders said to us last week, it's quite offensive as well. So, there we are. The first letter to the church in Thessaloniki. Now, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to read the first ten verses, well, first chapter, and then um, I'm going to walk you through some of the stuff that God has put, drawn my heart to this morning to share with you, and then we'll see where it lands and see how God leads us. Is that all right? Okay. Well, First Thessalonians chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen. I'm reading from the NIV. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers 
We continually remember before our God and the Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord's in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to, know, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. May God's name be blessed through the public reading of his words and our hearts be nurtured today. Amen. I don't know if you've read a little bit in the book of, of you remember from the book, uh, the letter, well, the book of the um, Acts of the Apostles, how this church in Thessaloniki came to being. Um, after surviving the beating up that they got in Philippi, Paul and Silas, that's chapter 16, move on and they go to Thessaloniki. If you open your Bibles to Acts 17, then we'll hear how this group of believers came into, the being, into being. We need to remember that Thessaloniki was part of the uh, Roman Empire, and this was uh, Macedonia, which probably was just going to be current Greece. It was the second largest city. It had probably, I mean, it's very difficult to tell, but it had between 100 or 200,000 people. And it was a very, very important city. And Paul was very strategic in the way that he went to present the gospel, to present the, go the, the good news of Jesus. He went to these big areas where they knew that there was going to be interaction with people. People will come and go. There was going to be trade. There was going to be movement. So he comes to Thessaloniki. So when they had passed Acts chapter 17, when they had passed through Amphiopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a Jewish synagogue. If you remember from Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, whenever he went to visit these cities, he would ask two questions. Where is the synagogue and where is the prison? Synagogue. He goes there, 
And his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and there on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming, he says, to you is the Christ. So, this Jesus that has just lived and he's died and he's been crucified is the promised Messiah. And then what happens there as he tries to, to reason with them, as he tries to bring the scriptures to them, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So it's interesting how the gospel is reaching out to the Jews the Greeks, but also to the women that were very prominent. And then what happens here is the Jews become jealous. And the only way that they can show their jealousy towards Paul and Silas is by bringing something which they themselves detest. Allegiance to Caesar. Allegiance to the Roman Empire. Allegiance to everything that they, they were not compliant with. So the Jews were jealous, rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house, who was the host for Paul and Silas, and there they just um, brought them out to the crowd. Um, they, they, they did not find them. They dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, this man who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here in Thessaloniki. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, to whom we just sang this morning. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown in turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post a bond and let them go. So this is how the community of faith started in Thessalonica. They, Paul and Silas, they come, they share the gospel, uh, they reason with them through the scriptures, and uh, people turn to know this Christ that has been promised through the centuries. And now has come and is Jesus, has lived among them, has been crucified, has been resurrected. And Paul is reasoning with them, to saying from scriptures that actually what this guy, this Jesus, he is the true Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one. So have your allegiance with him. And people respond to that. But it's very interesting how this community has become from this group of people who are come to know Christ. All of a sudden, they've become such a fragile community. They're new believers. The apostles that should have been there, they've moved on. They've been kicked out of the city. 
And there's things that Paul needs to say to them to encourage them in their faithfulness, in their allegiance to Christ. And that's why we've got the book. That's why we've got the letter of First and Second Thessalonians. This is what Paul is trying to do here. He is basically uh, is trying to encourage them. He, he's going to do this in different ways. As we read this week through the First Thessalonians, we'll see that he wants to start by what we read already this morning, by expressing his thanks and his praise that actually they are committed followers of Jesus. But still, they're functioning under the Roman Empire. He wants to uh, encourage them to not just be just believers, but he wants to encourage them to progress, to grow, to mature in their faith. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 2. Um, actually, he wants to defend himself against the attacks of the enemies. Actually, the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest enemies for Paul, the biggest opponents, were the Jews. And that's what we're going to see in, uh, later on in chapter uh, 3. Then he, he encourages people to stand firm in persecution and not to return to paganism. Because it's very easy. The Christian life, it's very tough. And if you are in the setting that you're being tormented, that you're being persecuted, that you're really struggling for your faith, then the easiest thing to do is just to... Go back to where you were because then you can go back to your circle of friends, to your contacts, to the network without trouble. So that's what he's trying to do now. And that's what we see later on in the letter of Thessalonians. He's going to encourage them to grow in Christ. He's going to encourage them that actually uh, as they, they look at the current life and as they think of the, the future, the heaven. He wants to clarify that the destiny of Christians uh, who die before the Lord's return is, is very clear. And I don't know how Paul received this revelation, whether he received it directly from God, but we see it in the letter of First Thessalonians, and also we see it in the letter of Peter as well. And he's going to talk about that. And the last thing, or actually two more things, he wants to not just for them to think about their future, but he wants for the believers to watch and wait for Christ's return. And the book or the epistle, the letter that he writes, ends with some practicalities about church life. I'm going to stop um, at two or three moments in chapter 1. And the first thing that I said is that this community is quite fragile. They've just received the gospel. Uh, of course, they've got the baggage of their own cultural and religion. But now they've encountered Jesus. And they're very new in their faith. It's very fragile. And uh, there is no false teaching here. Um, as far as we know, because otherwise Paul would have written about it. But it's very true that actually uh, Paul did not have enough time to be with them, present, physically, in order to disciple them. 
Um, I said to you earlier on that um, I come from Albania, and uh, for those of you who know, Albania was, until 1991, was the most atheistic country in the world. So if you think of North Korea, that was us until 1991. So the dictator managed to do something that was very cruel. Um, I mean, many things that were cruel, but amongst that there was no practice of religion or Christianity. There was no underground church that we know of um, from 1967 till 1991. And the youth was uh, mobilized to be against religion, against any ideologies that came from the West. It was very insular, very small country. And um, the missionaries then, they were getting ready and, uh, to, to come to Albania for the country to open up. And the country opened up in 1991. The first missionaries came in November 1991. The first church meeting started on the 12th of January 1992. I became a Christian in May 1992. And then we, we had very little. Last week, um, I preached on Ezekiel 37. I remember the sermon that we was preached in our church in Albania on Ezekiel 37, and we didn't have an Old Testament in Albanian language. This was 1993, 1994 maybe. So this is... So, we had nothing. We didn't have any idea about faith. We didn't have anything. All we needed, all we knew was communism at its best. 1997, just five years on, we had a civil war. A lot of people gave money to pyramid schemes. The government allowed it. And then people started selling because of greed, started selling everything, putting them into the schemes, and then they lost everything. So it was chaos. So it was anarchy. I remember March 1997, where we had to, it was really unsafe to be on the streets, people with machine guns, people would go to ammunition depots and drive out with tanks, and they'd never seen a tank in their lives. It was it was anarchy at its best. Missionaries had to leave because it was not safe for them. And there was a group of believers that we decided that actually we're going to continue trusting God, although we've got flying bullets going over our heads. So when Paul is writing to the, to the, the church in Thessaloniki, being so fragile, this is what reminds me. It reminds me of my early days of Christianity when we didn't have anything. We didn't have a lot of Christian literature translated in Albanian. Yes, we had the missionaries. They were our role models. But we had to do with what we had to do, relying on God to continue to work in us. And I have never ever experienced in my life church being so serious about God's kingdom and his purposes. Never have I experienced it in my life. And I've been always in good churches. 
But those moments of the civil war and those moments that we were so vulnerable and fragile when we saw God's at work, when actually we didn't come with our own expertise or with our own knowledge or heritage, we allowed God to work in our lives. And those are the times that I really think very, I'm very fond of and celebrate because those are the places where God has really put foundations in my faith. So the, the community in Thessaloniki is very fragile. They're newly formed. They need encouragement. And this is the purpose of the letter. Paul is going to encourage these people. Because Christian living is not about surviving. Christian living is about thriving. He who has begun that good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, he says to Philippians. What does he say to these guys in Thessaloniki? He says, guys, God is at work in your life. Sorry, let me find... We continue to remember you before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith. Your love, sorry, your labor prompted by love. Your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God for all of you. These guys were fragile. They needed encouragement. And it was the task of the apostle to impart that. And he was going not to waste time. He was going to speak those things. into Because he knew for himself where he had come from. And this new life that he had in Jesus was not about surviving. It was not just being on the waiting room and waiting for Jesus to return. As we'll see later on in the chapters. No, no. Living the Christian life at the full potential that God has intended it to be, and encouraging people that actually they are missing out if they're not doing this. There is a great opportunity for them to continue, not just to stay stuck in their faith, love, and endurance. They can grow. And this is the task of the apostle to do that. And I want to extend that encouragement to you because... I look at the time of being fragile, and I think also the church in the West, the church in this country, it's in a fragile moment. It's very good for us to say we're Baptist, we're nonconformist, we've got a history of the last 400 years, the whole movement, Baptist movement, came out of persecution and stuff like that. It's very easy for us to dwell in the past. Yes, we've got the heritage. Yes, we've got the, 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 the passion. In my church, I've got the list of all the ministers from the 1600 onwards. And it says they were faithful to preach God's words. And that bears the question for me. How am I being faithful to preach God's words on the 12th of November, 2023. We are in fragile moments in our church history. 
And yet, God is at work. God is at work. So, I dare ask the question, how is your Father God working in your lives to produce work that is produced by faith? How is your labor for God prompted by love? How is your endurance for God in your Christian walk, in your Christian living, that is marked by hope? How is that for me? Because remember, the life that Jesus has called us to do and to live is not about surviving. It's not just waiting at the waiting room for your name to be called. But it's doing your best to live that life that is marked by faith, by love, by endurance and hope. Because this is God's will for his people. The other thing that I wanted to draw our attention to at this passage is that Paul is writing to this community that is fragile, but he really knows them well for the time that he spent with them. And there is an element there that actually he talks in these verses about his authenticity and his authority in bringing the gospel. It's, it's interesting. He says, we've lived among you. And also, you know, brothers, you know, brothers and sisters, our gospel came to you not simply with words. Although, Paul could have been the best person to bring the gospel with words. You know, we read again in Philippians, he ticked all the boxes of being the top a superhuman. He did. There is no other person in the New Testament that ticks all the boxes. You know, I'm a Hebrew, circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin. Da, 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 da. He lists all those things. And then he says, I consider them all trash. For the comparison of knowing Christ. So he's been there. So he comes and he says, hey, we, we did not come with fancy words. But our, mas- our message had power, had the dynamo. So it was not just the supernatural powers of miracles. No, no, the message came with power. And this power was found by the Holy Spirit who brought the conviction into the people who listened to this good news. So there was something that they had nothing to hide They were quite authentic. They came with the authority from the Holy Spirit. And basically, Paul did what he was asked to do. Preach the gospel and live the gospel. Preach the good news about Jesus. Reason with them from the scriptures. And allow the good news of Jesus to be good news for him. So there was this authenticity. There was this authority of the gospel. But it didn't stop there. Paul was expecting that this good news will bring about 
transformation of individuals and communities. So it was not just good news, because otherwise that would be called good information. Good news, good information. No, no. There was an expectation that when the gospel is preached, when this Jesus is Christ that has died on the cross as we sang for our sins, that it was buried and was resurrected on the third day so we can have life with him, when this is good news, then this life needs to be transformed by this good news. Otherwise, what's the point? It remains good information then. So, do you see what's going on here? Paul himself has experienced for himself what this good news has done for him. He was a terrorist. And now he's preaching the gospel. This is the transformation of the good news. And now he's trying to communicate that. That that same kind of expectation is for the people in Thessaloniki. And it's interesting how this good news has worked, even in Thessaloniki. Because he says to them, you are an example. You're an example to the whole region. But also, you've been good imitators of us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. What great qualities, what great remarks for a church that you are living your lives that are being transformed. They're messy, they're broken, but they're being transformed by the gospel in a way that you are being model to the region because you've been imitators of God and imitators of us. Paul said it elsewhere, follow me as I follow Christ. Because if Paul doesn't follow Christ, then there is no point in following Paul. And that's what we see here in Thessaloniki as well. So there is this authenticity, there is this authority, but there is this expectation. And look what's gone on there. We're going to see it also in chapter 3 when uh, Timothy comes back with a report about Thessalonians. But look, look, look what's gone here. The, the message came. You became a model. It says in verse um, 7. And then verse 8 of chapter 1. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. So this, the word that is used here, I'm not a Greek expert, but the word that is used here is the message trumpeted, rang out. It was just this big, big broadcast without the need of social media. It was trumpeting. It was broadcasting that you are a model, that you are a great example. So in that sense, they heard about the, Macedo the Thessalonians in Macedonia, and they said, whoa, good news. If the Macedonians are changing, well, there is hope for us. 
if God is working in this part of this very prominent and affluent area of the city, well, there is good news for us. They've become good examples. And then he goes on. He says, not only that you validated the gospel with your life and your model, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. To the point that has made the missionaries and the apostles work easy. We don't have to say anything about it, says Paul. I mean, Paul has not got anything to say. How ironic is that? But for the Thessalonians, he says, you've made our job easier because your faith in God, everybody knows about it. The Thessalonians, they've got faith in God alone. Amazing. Wow. What a remark for a community of believers. And then it goes on. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So, it's talked about their model. It's talked about their faith in God. So far, so good. And now, this is the outworking of the good news of Jesus in practical ways. From idol worshippers to worshippers of the true and the living God. If the good news is not good news for Thessalonians, what is the point? If the outworking of that good news for Thessalonians is not that they are surrounded by idols, by, by shrines, by anything, to break them, to get rid of them, to, to make that distinct message that they are no longer worshipping idols, well, how will the good news of Jesus be different? What is the difference from the fellow neighbor who's got the shrines? So this is the first transformation, that they were idol worshippers, and now they've turned their back to idols, to idolatry, and they have turned to the true and the living God. It's something that is very biblical. It's not only from what you turn from, but something also about where do you turn to. Because you can turn, from, turn away from cigarettes, but if you do vaping, what's the point? Turning from to turning to. Turning your back to the idols and turning to the true and living God. That's repentance, isn't it? Yeah, that's repentance. That's that 180 degree change of situation. It's, it's you're walking your way and you meet with the resurrected Christ. Have we seen this before in the life of Paul? Acts chapter 9. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You come to the realization you're saying, what a plonker. 
I want to live for God. Turning away, turning to the true and living God. What a great remark for a community of believers that is obvious. It's blatant. You don't have to look for it. It's there. And the other remark is that you wait for his son from heaven, who is raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And as I said to you, this idea of waiting is not just that, oh, just hang in there in the midst of suffering and persecution because actually Jesus has come. Just, just hang in there, just a little more. No, no. You wait with that conviction in your heart that regardless what you're going through, God's promises are true. And he is going to prove himself faithful. Although your time and your experience is really, really tough. My time and my experience, the suffering is really tough. And again, we talk about suffering as Christians, but I think they're first world problems. Suffering for faith is going home and telling your parents, I've got friends, telling your parents you've become a Christian and you're kicked out, you're beaten up. This was in Albania. And I'm not talking only about Albania. I've got in mind the, the persecuted church. Do you know what? There are people who live even in Bristol under the persecution because of the choice that they have made to follow Jesus. And for them, the waiting of the return of Christ is that assurance that his promises will be fulfilled because they are true and amen in Jesus. And unless you've got the good news of Jesus that brings that transformation in your heart, why would you and I have to wait patiently and with conviction? Why would Paul have to write something which he does not then experience it for himself? Brothers and sisters, do you see what is going on here? By Paul encouraging the believers in Thessaloniki, he is validating the truthfulness and the power of the gospel. The message that he has been entrusted with to preach to the Gentiles. And the expectation that he has that as it goes forth and preaches, it's transforming lives. So my challenge here for you today is, is the good news of Jesus good news for you today? Has it transformed your life? In the way that you look back. And don't look back just at the day that you became a Christian or when you were baptized. Because it's very good to look back in the past. But has the good news of Jesus been transformative for your life in the last five days? Yesterday. This morning. 
Is the good news of Jesus transforming your lives as individuals in your own discipleship? Is the good news of Jesus transforming the, the way that we have got fellowship and the way that we're doing things as a church community? Because if the good news of Jesus is not good news for us, well, how can it be good news then for neighbors? How can it be good news for the city? We're just giving good information. Jesus, he's a good guy. He's a great teacher. We follow his teaching when we want to. But when he asks us that we need to change, well, we just plod on and wait and see. But yeah, yeah, but we believe in him. I've met people who've said to me they have followed the Lord for so many years and they still have not experienced the transformation of the good news. And I find that ridiculous. I, I don't know. And I've met people who've come to know Christ. They follow Jesus, or they thought they followed Jesus for many years, and the last two, three years of their life, they've chosen for that good news to be transforming their lives. And oh boy, they're flying. So counterslip. Do we believe in the good news of Jesus this morning? Do we believe for that to be good news for us as individuals? For me as a father, for me as a husband, for me as part of my family? Do I believe that for, to be good news for the place of work tomorrow? Or for that place where God has called me to be living my life as a disciple tomorrow? Because if it's not good news in that way, then we have to go back to the cross and remind ourselves remind ourselves what the Lord has done for us and how much he loves us and how much he wants us to be like him. Because, and I say this with full conviction, unless the good news of the gospel is good news for the church at Come to Slip, for the church at Kent Road, it cannot be good news for anybody else that surrounds us. It can't. And the way that we validate the good news is by letting the good news of Jesus changing our lives. So the first question is, do we believe in the good news of Jesus? You're all pensive. <laughs> and the second question is, are we going to trust the Lord that this good news is going to change me. That even if you bump me, bump into me in the road in weeks' times, you just, I've got something to tell you how the good news of Jesus has changed my life. Let me pray, and then I'll hand it over to Martin. It's all right, Martin. Before I rush into prayer, I just want to take a moment to give some space. If you've been drawn to a particular verse or a particular event in the verses that we've been reading, 
and God has drawn your attention and there is also a hundred things going on in your mind. I just want to allow this space for you to take that on board and perhaps take it as something to do business with God even before you take communion today. Lord Jesus, thank you that you come and meet us in the quietness of our hearts. As Nathan prayed earlier on, soften our hearts, Lord. And thank you for meeting us today with your presence and with this great reminder of the potential that the good news of the gospel has got for us as disciples as well as a community of faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can pray in faith that the gospel is going to be so transformative for counterslip that they're going to be a model, not only for this part of the city, but the whole of Bristol, the whole of Southwest, that the gospel is so transforming here that their faith, their love, their hope are marked, Lord, by your work. Thank you for your work here, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the way that you have journeyed with them as a church. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you continue to work with them. I pray, Lord, that that verse of Philippians 1.6 will be true, Lord, for Matt, for the leaders, for church members, for visitors, that he has begun the good work and you all will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Lord of the good news. Thank you, Lord, that you want to transform us with your good news. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to share this good news with others. So in our hearts, Lord, today, we choose to say, we choose to believe we choose to live our lives according to the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. For your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.